You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Before we start, let's just open up in a word of prayer. Did they follow, Lord, do thank you for this time that we can... Look at your word this morning, Lord. I pray that you would just fill me with your spirit, Lord. Give me the words to say this morning, Lord, that we can receive from you that that which we need, Lord, receive a blessing from you this morning, Lord. Lord, that we can desire to draw close to you, to walk close with you, Lord, and to be the light of your Holy Spirit, Lord, each and every day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, to start off, um, the name of this lesson this morning, I call it The Call of the Wilderness. And, you know, in 1903, there was a book written called The Call of the Wild. That was written by Jack London. And it was about this dog that gets captured from his owner, taken to Alaska, used in the gold mines up there, becomes a sled dog, you know. And throughout the book, you know, one of the things that Jack London was trying to emphasize was that this call, you know, this dog was constantly being called by the wolves to kind of, you know, embrace his primitive side. That's not really what we're talking about this morning. You know, this dog had some bad ownership. He was mistreated. He was, you know, abused, and then eventually he was rescued by a guy who took him in, raised him back to health, and then this guy eventually was killed himself, was murdered, and um, then the dog eventually went off in the wild. Now, that just being said, that's just, you know, the basis kind of for the title. There was nothing spiritual about Jack London's book. In fact, Jack London was a really boring author as far as I was concerned. But, you know, I think in each and every one of us, God has given us some desire for these wild places, for these wildernesses of sorts. I mean, you can see it just in, you know, as you, you're the natural desire to see beauty, to see unknown spaces. I mean, exploration, the constant need, I guess, in the heart of man to know, to know more, to know more about the area around us, to know, know more about these places that are unexplored. I think that's something that obviously God had to have put in the heart of man to be that, to, to want to know, to want to learn to want to grow closer, to want to know more about the world in which we live. You know, it was common, I think, throughout the, the history of the world for people at times to just get up and, and leave the place they were in to go see a land where they had never been. You know, even in the first part of our country, the establishment of our country, the only way our country grew was that these men and women had this boldness and this desire inside them to see places that were unknown. I mean, Christopher Columbus coming, you know, sailing across the ocean, just that desire to, to see. But, but why is that desire there? And I don't want to focus too much on that desire as the fact that, you know, there are so many stories in Scripture, though those people who were in the wilderness, who were called to this wilderness, and, you know, maybe out of uh, you know, differing, differing reasons they were in the wilderness. But it was in that wilderness, not the place that they were abandoned by God, but the place that they met with God. The place, in those places of seclusion, of separation, apart from the whole life that they had had before, apart from everything that was going on at that time, that was where God could speak freely with his children. We also know that the wilderness is not only the place where Jesus was tempted, but where he often went to seek his father. 
He often went to these places apart, these wild places, the mountains, the wilderness, so that he could seek God and get his heart in tune with the Father. You know, based on some historical accounts, you know, it said that Enoch walked with God. We know that from the Bible it says Enoch walked with God and God took him. But according to some historical accounts, Enoch walked with God not just, you know, on an everyday in his area. He walked with God throughout the earth looking, exploring, and God walked with him, and God talked with him, and eventually God took him. You know, but Enoch was able to separate himself from the worldliness of the day. We know it was sinful at that time as well, in the time of Enoch, as it was in the time of Noah. It was getting worse. The world was becoming more wicked. Enoch was able to separate himself from the worldliness and the wickedness that was taking place and spend such close time walking with God that God took him. You know, Abraham was directed by God to go into a land that he did not know in order for God to do the great work of history that he is still doing. In order to establish a nation that was set apart for God, a a nation that was set apart so that God could raise up a godly seed, and then, you know, eventually the Messiah could come through. God called Abraham to go out into a place that he did not know. But the main thing I want to focus on is not the place that he did not know, but it was a place apart. It was a place that only God was there to meet with Abraham and with his family. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto them. That's Genesis 12, 1 and 7. We also know that the wilderness is where God met with Moses and called him for his great task of leading the people of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. In Exodus 3, 1 through 6, we see this calling. So let's just read that real quick here. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Notice he didn't say, I've never seen a bush on fire in the wilderness, so that might have been a common occurrence to see bushes on fire. But he said, it's not burnt, it's not consumed. This bush is burning, but it's, not, it's still there. So Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So we see here that Moses receives a call as he's in the backside of the desert near Horeb. God calls to him out of this burning bush. But he doesn't actually speak until Moses turns aside. Until Moses makes that decision that I'm going to go see what's going on over here. I mean, what would have happened if Moses said, oh, there's a burning bush over there. I'm going the other way. I don't want any part of that. That's too supernatural for me. I don't want any part of something that I don't know anything about. And he had turned aside. I mean, obviously we don't know. We can't really speculate. But I mean, this is a decision that Moses had to make to choose to look at this. And then God spoke to him as he turned aside. You know, a lot of times I think in in Christian circles and messages that we hear, we talk about a wilderness experience. 
We talk about, you know, these times where we feel like we're alone, we're left, it's desolate, our life is dry, it's barren. You know, that sort of thing is what I think I've heard often is described as a wilderness experience, and that's probably a good definition of a wilderness experience. But, you know, and we sometimes think this is the time where God has left us. But when we look at the scripture, we don't find that God leaves his people in the wilderness. In fact, we find more often this is the place that God meets with his people. This is the place that God wants his people to go so that he can meet with them and he can instruct them and he can guide them. That's God's plan for a wilderness experience. When Abraham went into a far country, he didn't go on his own. He was led by God. When Moses was in the wilderness, God appeared to him in this burning bush. God appeared to him and spoke to him. He didn't appear physically. He appeared in the form of the bush. But he spoke to him out of that bush to lead him and to guide him. When the children of Israel, after Moses led them out of Egypt, when they were in the wilderness, they weren't left by God in the wilderness. They weren't by themselves. I mean, they had a a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was there evident to them the entire time they were in this wilderness. When Elijah fled from Jezebel, God met him at Mount Sinai with great manifested works of power but spoke to him in a still, small voice there in the wilderness. When Jesus went up into the mountain apart from the people or out in the desert, God not only met with him as he prayed, but Jesus was able then also to reveal himself at that one point on the Mount of Transfiguration to Peter, James, and John. When he went up into that mountain apart from the people, out in this wilderness area, he was able to reveal himself. In Matthew 17, 1 2, we find an account of the transfiguration. It says, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter and James and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So, from the scripture, we can see that the wilderness, this place apart, is not the place to be shunned if we want to be close to God, but the place. To embrace. So what is this wilderness that we're really talking about here? Is this we all have to go out in the woods in order to have contact with God? I don't believe that's the case. But we do need to get apart. We need to get separated from those things that maybe distract us. Maybe from our phone. Maybe from the TV. Maybe from our family. Well, you know, I'll tell you right now, it is tough for me to find a place where I can work on anything with touring around. Because I open my computer and it's, it's just, it's over. I can't type. I can't do anything. There's not, I can probably go into, there's not very many rooms in my house where I can lock it. Maybe the girl's room or in the bathroom or something. But I mean, it's just, it's hard to find places to get apart where you can really focus. I mean, you get up early in the morning. He gets up early in the morning too. There's no stopping him. You can't get up early enough to beat him. It seems like, you know, and that's what we as parents, but I don't think just as parents. I mean, I think our work situation can come in and can affect the wilderness we have. You know, our whole busy life can constrict us to the point where we are stuck in this area where we can't get apart unless we really try. We can't get apart to spend that time with God that we need to have. But it's important for us to do so. We can see in the scripture that it was important to Jesus to do so. We can see in the scripture that it was important for God to bring people to this place apart so that he could meet with them. We need to get to that point where it is just us and God and nothing else. In order for us to receive the benefit that we need in our lives so that we can grow closer to God, so that we can walk close to God just as Enoch walked with God, so that we can receive the blessing in our life. So real quickly this morning, we'll go over four purposes for seeking God 
in the wilderness, seeking God apart from everything else. First would be total separation from all outside influences, as well as sanctification, separation and sanctification. Second would be testing our hearts, our faith. Testing our hearts, our faith, as well as our humility. Talking with God. Being taught of God. Just those four areas we'll discuss real quick here this morning. So the first one, total separation and sanctification. When God called the people of Israel from Egypt, he specifically had Moses go in and tell Pharaoh something. And that was that he desired to have the people serve him in the wilderness. That was the first thing that Moses told Pharaoh. was not, we're going to end up in the land of promise. God is saying, I want the people to serve me in the wilderness. That's why you need to let my people go. After, in Exodus 5, verse 1 to 3, it says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. So here, Moses tells Pharaoh, we need to go into the wilderness so that we can have a feast to our God, so that we can serve our God, because if we don't do this thing, if we don't go out in the wilderness, if we don't get apart from Egypt, God is going to bring pestilence and disease upon us that we don't want. We as a people want to receive the blessing of God. In order for us to do that, we've got to get apart from everything that's going on here in Egypt. And of course, we know that Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time, and it wasn't until God had to break him, to show himself strong for the nation of Israel, that they were able to leave. But that was the purpose. In Exodus seven sixteen, it says, And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldst not hear. God needed the people out of Egypt, which we know to be the symbol of the world. God needed his people out of the world, apart from everything that they've been doing in their everyday lives for 400 years. He needed them out of that so that they could seek him, so that he could meet with them, so that he could show himself to them. It was there, though, in that wilderness, the point of separation from all other things, that God gave the people their choice. The great choice that he gave to the nation of Israel and that he gives to us as well. And that choice is whether or not we're going to live according to the laws that he has given to us, to the, to the instruction that he has given to us. We're going to do what is right and receive his blessing or we're going to be cursed when we disobey. See, this is what God needed to get the people out of Egypt in order for him to speak to them and give them this opportunity to make this decision where they had no other influences other than him in the mountain showing himself to them the Ten Commandments, the other laws that he gave, telling the people of Israel, choose to serve me and I will bless you. Choose to disobey me and I will curse you. It is important for us to remember that only through the separation and the sanctification will we have the opportunity to be obedient. Remember when they came to the mount and God told the people that he was going to reveal himself unto them. Well, that's in Exodus chapter 19. Let's turn over there real quick. Exodus chapter 19. Verse 10 and 11. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So the people had to do the work of getting themselves ready 
to meet with God. They had to sanctify themselves. They had to clean themselves. They had to take a bath after wandering around in this dusty desert for however long they had done. God needed them to sanctify themselves in the wilderness as well so that he could give them this opportunity to obey. And then it's up to us to make this choice of whether or not we will obey. Whether or not we will obey or whether or not we will be disobedient. But that's one of the purposes of this wilderness where God can meet with us apart is so that we can be separated from the world and we can be sanctified in our hearts. Number two that we are going to talk about this morning is God wants us to have these wilderness experiences, these times apart with him so he can test our heart to see if our faith is where it needs to be as well to see whether or not we are humble as we should be. Part of this wilderness life does require testing. None of us like to be tested, I don't think. None of us like to have a test unless we have the answers. You know, we, <laughs> open book tests are really easy. But none of us really like to be tested in areas where we don't know for sure if we are going to pass. None of us really like to be tested either on how long we can go without food. So that's another area of testing that we find Jesus went through in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, remember Jesus went out into the wilderness, 40 days of fasting. 40 days of fasting. And it says that the Spirit led him up into the wilderness to be tempted. But he spent 40 days fasting prior to that temptation. You know, I'm sure that Jesus did not sit around for 40 days doing nothing when he was in the wilderness. And all we find recorded in the Scripture is about five minutes worth of reading or less of the temptations that Satan brought. Now, we don't know if Satan brought more temptations than were recorded in Scripture. We also don't know what else Jesus did as he spent 40 days out in the wilderness. But I can sh- I'm pretty confident that he spent a lot of time in prayer. He spent a lot of time seeking God's face. He spent a lot of time getting in touch with his Heavenly Father. But we do know one thing, is that God required this time of testing in Jesus' life. The Spirit specifically led him up in the wilderness to be tempted. Jesus knew the great task that was before him on this earth. When he came to this earth, he knew the task that was before him, that he was going to need to live a sinless life through all the things that were going to take place, being tempted just as men are tempted. And being able to avoid that, falling into that temptation, giving in to sin, being able to live a perfect sinless life so that he could save mankind from their sin. Jesus knew that it was going to be a great test in his life, and he prepared himself in the wilderness with God. He fasted and he prayed, and he sought his Father, and even he was tempted of Satan. If we want to have a fruitful time apart with God, we have to expect that testing will also come into our life along with it. There's nothing Satan wants more than to separate us from our close fellowship with God, to separate us from fellowship with God so that we are apart from God. We're not walking close with him. That is what Satan wants in our lives. Even the children of Israel experienced this in the wilderness. And this is why God led them in the wilderness, as he tells them Deuteronomy. He tells the children of Israel one of the reasons why he led them out into the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8, 2, it says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness, to humble thee. God led them in the wilderness to humble them, to bring them to the point where they knew that God was God and he was in control and they needed to obey him and to get rid of all their own ambitions, all their own desires, everything of themselves, give it over to God and seek to please him with their lives. To humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wast keep his commandments or no. 
So God tested the children of Israel in the wilderness. When he was not apart from them, he was close with them. He led them. He guided them. He was constant communication with Moses, leading and guiding and directing the people to see whether or not their heart was going to be right with him, their heart was going to choose to do what was right, or whether or not their heart was going to turn from him. Deuteronomy 8.16 says, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. See, God's ultimate desire in the life of the nation of Israel was to do them good. As long as they were humble, as long as their heart was right with God, he was going to do them good. And it's the same way in our life. As long as we are humble and our heart is right with God, he's going to do good in our lives. And he needs to test us in those areas. And the best way to get that testing is when we spend that time in prayer, asking God to show us these areas of our heart that we need to change, that we are too proud, that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to give over to him. That's why we need these times apart. The goal of our Heavenly Father is to do us good. But we, He can only do us good if we are willing to be obedient, to humble ourselves before Him. And it's at these times alone with Him, seeking Him through His Word, seeking Him in prayer, answering this call, the wilderness is called to be a part with Him. This is where I get my heart in tune with God, and I can see His will and His desire for my life. The third aspect of seeking God in the wilderness is talking with God. This plain old talking with God, which isn't really that plain. It's something that we so often push off and we don't do as well as we should. And I am guilty of it as much or more than anybody here of not talking with God as I should. Talking with God. Jesus was an example for this. You know, he was always in the mood, I guess you could say, to talk with God. He was always trying to find these opportunities and times. And not only did he just find them you know, here and there, he created them for himself. He sent people away so that he could go himself apart to seek God. So that he could pray the way he needed to pray. He had such a need to talk with the Father that nothing would keep him from seeking out a solitary place to seek his Father, to pray to him. Jesus put such an importance on personal communication with the Father that he even sent his disciples away to have his time alone. Just the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in close fellowship as they existed for all eternity in that close fellowship, that was what Jesus needed. Right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent his disciples away to spend time in prayer. And then immediately after that, we find a story. We find in Mark chapter 6, verse 46 through 51, he says, And when he had sent him away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them in the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure. And wondered. So Jesus first sends his disciples apart so that he can go pray. And after he's done praying, he comes out and he walks on this water as the, you know, the disciples are out here struggling, struggling to survive. He walks, just going to walk right by him. And the disciples are looking, whoa, who is this guy? He's just, he's just walking by. See, Jesus knew what the disciples needed at that time. And I believe Jesus prepared himself ahead of time 
for how he could minister to his disciples. See, Jesus was always thinking about others. He was always thinking about what he needed to do. And he knew that he needed to spend this time with God in order to accomplish the things that God desired for him on this earth. And if Jesus needed that time apart with God, we for sure need that time apart with God in our life. Even when his time appointed to go to the cross became imminent, he sought the face of God in the garden alone. Remember, he brought the disciples with him, but he left the disciples so that he could go apart and be alone by himself with God, where he could pour out his soul to God and talk with God as he needed to. Always understanding that it was God's will and not his will that was going to be done in the situation. Remember, as he prayed in the garden, it says, and he came out and went as he was wont, so he went there often to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And then when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them by the stones cast, and kneeled down and prayed. This is in Luke chapter 22, 39 through 44. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. No, I don't think we can ever reach this point that Jesus was at, experiencing the agony that he was in at this time. But shouldn't we try? <laughs> How much agony do we have in our soul as we pour out our heart to God on a daily basis? Is it just a casual prayer when we go to pray to God? Or do we really see our need as Jesus saw his need? So much so that he was pouring out great sweat drops of blood in agony as he prayed to God. See, Jesus needed to get himself apart for this, though. He needed to seek out this place of willingness for himself so that he could truly pour out his heart to God as he needed to do. He couldn't have the disciples with him. He couldn't have their snoring affect him as he was praying. You know, Jesus had to have this place apart for himself. So how much more do we need that as well? Then the fourth aspect we're going to touch on this morning is the other aspect that we need for seeking this wilderness is to be taught of God. Turn over, if you would, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 30. It's probably a fairly familiar passage for us. Isaiah chapter 30. Let's go down to verse 15. For thus saith the, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning in rest shall ye be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, and ye would not. But ye said, No, for we will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee, and we will ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain, and as an ensign on a hill. And therefore will the Lord wait, that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Verse 19, For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry when he shall hear it. He will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. And when he turned to the right hand, and when he turned to the left. 
Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. God desires to teach us. And here in this passage, we find God wanting to instruct the nation of Israel. Wanting to teach the nation of Israel. But he couldn't teach them. Why? Why couldn't he teach them? Because they were trusting in their own wisdom. They were trusting in their own strength. They were trusting in their own ideas. And when we do that, when we trust in our own strength, our own ideas, our own wisdom, we come to destruction the same as the nation of Israel was finding themselves coming to destruction in this passage. In this passage, they were trusting in their horses to deliver them. You know, if somebody was coming and attack them, they were trusting in their horses to deliver them from the enemy that was coming. They were trusting in other things, being swift in order to get away from their enemy. But God is telling them, you're trusting in everything else for your safety and for your protection, for your teaching, for your instruction. You're trusting in everything else, all your, all your knowledge and your wisdom that you are gathering on your own. That is what you are trusting in rather than trusting in God. And the only thing God offered them was quietness and peace, which is what they want, which is what the nation of Israel still wants, is quietness and peace. And yet, until they come and seek God, as God instructs us later on here in this passage, they wouldn't have it because they're trusting in themselves. They would not listen. They stopped their ears to the, the teaching that God had for them. It says here that a thousand would flee at the attack of one and at the attack of five. So they're saying your army is going to be totally destroyed because until you listen to me, just the weakest of armies is going to be able to destroy your army no matter what its size is. And so we find here that the nation of Israel, he says, you're going to flee. You're going to flee until you come to this mountain. And as we saw earlier in the, the lesson this morning, how that mountain was a place where Jesus got apart, how that mountain was a place where uh, Moses met with God. It's that place of wilderness, that place apart. That is where they are going to end up fleeing to. And that was where the place, the place where the Lord was waiting for them all along. The place that once we come to the end of ourselves, once we stop listening to our own wisdom, our own instruction, once we stop reading the information that we have you know, on the internet around us for our spiritual guidance, once we get into the Word of God and receive from Him that which He has for us, and we willingly receive it, then He will be able to instruct us in the right path. And that is the place that God waits for us. He waits for us to get to this place where we come to the end of ourselves. You know, the word beacon in verse 17 is the Hebrew word torin, which is exactly what you know, we named our son, torin, that beacon. And that's that beacon of the place where God is waiting for you, for me, when we come to the end of ourselves. So that once we come to our end, the end of ourselves, then we become this beacon on the mountain that we show this light to the people around us. It's not our light. It's the light of God. That God show himself through us. But it's only when we come to the end of ourselves we stop thinking of what we can do and the wisdom we have. Once we get to the place where we can hear his voice, when we separate ourselves from everything around us, we get apart, we get solely focused on God and we get alone with God, we get to that place, then we can hear him teaching us once again. And we see that down there in verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. So if we want to get to that point where we can be taught of God, as we need to be taught, we have to come to the end of ourselves. And it's got to be a place apart from all the other influences, everything that we know, only God alone with us. And ultimately, this is all for God's glory, but he desires us to be a part of it. So 
question for us today is how often do we answer this call of the wilderness? How often do we answer God's call to get close with him, to talk with him, to be separated, to be sanctified, to be taught of God, to speak with him, to humble ourselves, to allow him to test our hearts of faith? Are we seeking to separate ourselves from everything around us so that we can fully focus on Christ and his will for us? Are we coming to him in a spirit of faith and humility? Do we allow him to bring areas of testing into our lives or do we reject the testing that God brings into our lives? Are we obedient to him when he tries to get our attention? Do we talk with God as we need to? Is our prayer life an effective endeavor or rather a tedious task? Do we hear his voice speaking to us as we pray to him, as we communicate with him? Do we come to God with a broken, contrite heart, emptied of ourselves, so that we can be taught of God and so that we can show others God, so we can be that beacon, so we can reveal God to others when we come to the end of ourselves? So we need to get serious about seeking God as we must. I know in my own life, I don't seek him as I should. I don't have this wilderness time that I should where I am apart and alone with God as I should so that I can receive from God in our lives. And if we desire to please him, to bring him glory, and to see our hearts revived, we need to answer his call of the wilderness in our life. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.